So you see the trick there, right? That if you deny that white supremacy is the most dangerous terrorist threat to America, or you even question like, okay, let's try and put some nuance on this. That is racism. You are the racist. You are the white supremacist. All right, everyone, welcome back to the Loopcast, Catholic Boat's weekly rundown of all things faith, culture, and politics. As always, it's me, Erica, and Josh, and we have a full week to get into, so let's get right into it. So the first topic we will be discussing is a commencement. And last week we mentioned a really good commencement speech. Uh, this week we have a not so good commencement speech. President Biden went to Howard University. Now, for those who don't know, Howard University is a historically black college. They brought on Joe Biden and Joe Biden's message to the graduates were not reach for the stars. It was white supremacy is the biggest threat facing America today. And I don't know if they were holding up cards to tell people when to cheer, but it felt a little bit off. Erica, what did that speech do for you? Yeah, I mean, essentially, he was giving a campaign speech to the graduates of Howard University for 2023. And the, the overwhelming message was it, things are really bad, right? You're walking into a world where the biggest threat to your life isn't something that you have control over. It's white supremacy. And I was going to read this quote. He said, we know that American history has not always been a fairy tale. From the start, it's been a constant push and pull for more than 240 years between the best of us, the American ideal we're all created equal, and the worst of us, the harsh reality that racism has long torn us apart. And then he said, it's a battle that's never really over. And for me, the whole tone of the speech was just this sort of like white supremacist tone of like, I'm your white savior. I mean, it sort of it came across as, um, you know, you made a difference because you elected me. And here I am. I put the first black woman on the Supreme Court. And then he goes, and she's brighter than all the rest of them. I mean, these kinds of comments that are just underhandedly egging on and fomenting division and racism. I walked away from that speech feeling like, again, the message is, if you're white, you're the problem. If you're black, you need to take control and recognize that it's white people holding you down. And how, how does this even help anyone in this country? How does it help any of the graduates who are sitting there about to go out into the world to think, oh, I'm in the middle of this? I mean, he brought up um, Nazi marches. He brought up um, January 6th. He brought up Donald Trump's you know, quote that oh, there are good people on both sides. And he just said, no, there aren't, right? And the this insidious thing about speeches like this, and again, it's just part and parcel of the entire sort of new state religion. This was sort of a, a homily, if you will, in the liturgy of a graduation. Um, it's all part and parcel of this extreme division of the, the American people into identity groups where one group is good and one group is bad. And basically what it came down to is, if you're, what is a white supremacist? Well, a white supremacist is anyone who disagrees with Joe Biden's agenda. So you could be a black person who, you know, like we think of Clarence Thomas, um, or we think of Thomas Sowell, who we've talked about extensively on this program. 
they would be included in the white supremacy problem that's threatening the nation. They have been called that. They have been called that. And, you know, if you're someone, if you object to anything on his list of sins against American culture, well, you're obviously a white supremacist. I was just, I was reading, um, God forgive me, I was reading Ibram X. Kendi uh, just to prepare for this, to try and get a sense of, okay, who, what do these people think? I know, Josh, I know. Well, we read the things <laughs> so that the, the Luke Cass audience doesn't have to, you know. For those who don't know who Ibram X. Okay. Kendi is. So Ibram X. Kendi is sort of the poster child for um, critical race theory, although he says there's no such thing as critical race theory being taught in schools. Um, but he he's sort of the the cultural icon of the whole idea that white supremacy is the is the overwhelming domestic terror threat to the United States. He's sort of in, in systemic, 2020. He's big on systemic right, racism. Th- yeah. Exactly. Systemic racism in 2020 during the, the George Floyd uh, riots, the summer of rage there, he um, he became the, uh, sort of the spokesman for this. And and he said um, in one of actually in several of his articles that I was reading and a speech he gave online, the very heartbeat of racism is denial. So you see the trick there, right? That if you deny that white supremacy is the most dangerous terrorist threat to America, or you even question like, okay, let's try and put some nuance on this, that is racism. You are the racist. You are the white supremacist. So it's just shutting down conversation and speeches like this to black graduates in an era of such, um, you know, of such tension is ultimately damaging to them and to the country. Before we get too deep, I have some quotes for you, and let me know if you know who the uh, the person behind these quotes Test are. Test me, Tom. Bring it on. Right, so I'm ready. Here's a qu- okay. quick quiz. Um, unless we do something about this, my children are going to grow up in a jungle, the jungle being a racial jungle. This quote was in 1977 on desegregating schools through busing in the state of Delaware. Um, let's keep going. This is all the same person. Poor kids are just as bright and just as talented as white kids. That was in 2019. Uh, Latinx in America resist vaccinations because they're worried that they'll be vaccinated and deported. Uh, 2020, any black who has trouble deciding between me and Trump ain't really black. Uh, 2007, Barack Obama is the first mainstream African-American who is articulate and bright and clean. 2006, you can't go to a 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. Well, obviously we know it's Joe Biden. The one that the quote that actually gets me most frustrated about him when it comes to racial stuff is actually what he said as vice president of the United States in 2012. Uh, he was campaigning and denouncing Mitt Romney in front of a black audience. He said that Mitt Romney was going to, quote, put y'all back in chains. And I think that is one of the ugliest things ever uttered, you know, in the last 20, 30 years in American politics. And the Democratic Party not only did not condemn him, they nominated him for president. So all this, I mean, it just drives me absolutely crazy. I think it's, uh, he, he's a racial arsonist. And the thing is, white supremacy, like, what, that it's the number one domestic terrorist threat in the United States, that it's actually even a thing. I mean, like, the, there are some people who believe in racial supremacy. There are some people, that, there are some whites, I should say, that believe in racial supremacy. They're hard to find. You have to go looking for them. Now, pray. the thing is, the last time, uh, you know, you had a, a, a white supremacist at any chance at real power was in 1991 when David Duke was a former KKK member and he ran for governor. And they have this system in, in Louisiana and a lot of other southern states where you can have like 20 people running for governor and they take the top two. And he, 
There's a wide open field, lots of people running. He gets in second place against the Democrat, this guy, Edwin Edwards. He was like a old school New Deal Democrat. And what what happens? The patrician president, the New England, you know, Republican, George H. W. Bush, says to all the Republicans of Louisiana, vote for the New Deal Democrat because we're not the party that puts up with this kind of stuff. That was 30 years ago, you know, and it was like a moment in time and it was like, ah, freaked out. And they, they, and they stopped it. They stopped it dead in its tracks. But Biden would have you believe that racial supremacy is the number one problem in America. Well, actually white racial supremacy, but in fact, it's not, it's black racial supremacy, pushing on kids, this, this idea that the white man is out to get you. It's all this victimhood mentality. I, there was a really fascinating study I saw this guy uh, he's the same guy who did that uh, viral podcast in Oxford talking about climate change I thought it was so good his name is uh, I don't I, I butcher the name here Constantin uh, Kissin or whatever his name is he did they said they did this social experiment with women and they said we want to just see how this works what we're gonna do is we're gonna put like a um, like a scar on your face and we're just gonna see if people judge it differently and we'll have you go through this job interview and see what happens. And they're like, okay, that sounds good. And so they, they put the scar on their faces. Um, and then just right before they're about to go to the interview, they go, actually, wait, we just got to touch up real quick. And then what they actually did is they removed the whole scar, but the woman doesn't know it, right? So the woman goes into the interview thinking she's still got this scar, right? And they get done with the interview, and then they interview the women afterwards. And they're like, yeah, I think... I think the, a lot of them are like, yeah, I think, I think the scar kind of probably did kind of factor in. I think I was judged on that. And some of you even made said, you know, the guy, when he said this and we said that in the interview, he was obviously talking about my scar. And it's like, there was no scar. He didn't see anything. So the point here is that victimhood can be very contagious. It can be very damaging to the person. You just, uh, you assume that role, unfortunately, of being a victim. Now, that's not to say that there aren't sexist people out there. That's not to say that there aren't racist people out there, but we live in an age where we're looking for every slight possible, and that's not a great way to live your life. Now, I'm saying in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and 80s, uh, blacks and whites, uh, white women, you know, women and blacks, I should say, you know, when I was growing up, 50s, when I wasn't growing up in the 50s, but 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, they would try to ignore that. They would try to push past it. They would kind of roll their eyes and just kind of, you know, pretend like it didn't happen and then they'd move forward. And it must have been really hard to hear a lot of attacks, you know, a lot of sexist remarks or a lot of racist remarks, you know. But the fact is, is that, you know, it would be better if they wouldn't have to hear that, of course. But are we living in a better time right now on this where everyone's like looking for insults when there aren't necessarily? So I think it's a, there's there's something to be learned here. We just, you know, yes, we should try to push back at racism and sexism, but we can't go live in a life like a victim but I all think, the time. Yeah, and, and I completely agree, and there's extensive literature on everything that you've just said. But I think to move past that as a good faith argument, because I really don't think it is, let's talk about this. I think what it is, it, it's Marxist word games, if you really want to get down to the, the absolute core of what it is, because... For example, I'm going to do some more examples of things that have been called white supremacist in the last three years. This is just in the last three years. The gender binary, so male and female, that's been called white supremacist. The national anthem, 
homeschooling, the police, the nuclear family, milk, work ethic, emphasis on logic, finally math. So what, what President Biden is talking about here when he says white supremacy, white supremacy has kind of reached this, it's, its web has reached all facets of society. And many of them- It's this catch-all uh, phrase things used that, to smear correct. everything. Correct. Catch-all phrase, no, of exactly. Course. And the thing is, it's racial arsonry, arsonists. These are racial arsonists. They're using it like not to try to educate people and illuminate them. Hey, you know, you should, probably shouldn't say that. You may not realize you offended somebody. No, they're using it absolutely at, like like an arsonist to burn, to burn the society down. Burn it it's, all it, down. Yeah, and it has right. real power because like you mentioned, Josh, we do have a history of period of time in America where there were a lot of racism. There was a lot of racism going on. And because there's actual truth to that in the past, it's a really powerful tool to just bludgeon, you know, well-meaning people, well-intentioned people to get done what you want to get done. And as the Biden administration has shown, the things that they want to accomplish, they're willing to play the Marxist word games. And, and this really reminds me, too, I wanted to bring this up. There was a really interesting supercut made, uh, and it highlighted all of the times that mainstream media, uh, CNN, MSNBC, actually Fox in some instances, uh, were demonizing people that were unvaccinated. And I don't even really want to get into the you know, effectiveness or non-effectiveness of the vaccine itself. I think that's almost irrelevant for the point I'm trying to make. The language used is just jaw-dropping that you could even treat, a, just substitute out the word unvaccinated for any other group of people, and you would be shocked with what the, what's being said. So, for example, we start out with MSNBC saying, you are the unvaccinated, you are the problem. Uh, Don Lamont at CNN, the only people you can blame, this isn't shaming, this is the truth, maybe they should be shamed, are the unvaccinated. Uh, even Governor Ivy from Alabama, we have to start blaming the unvaccinated folks, not the regular folks. Uh, MSNBC, anyone who anyone you came into contact with will blame you, as will the rest of us who have done the right thing by getting vaccinated. MSNBC, all of us vaccinated folks are going to start wearing masks to protect the unvaccinated folks. It's called Christian value. Uh, CNN, you are basically punishing the vaccinated for the sins of the unvaccinated. Uh, President Biden, we have been patient. Actually, our patience is wearing thin. That's kind of funny, though. I mean, that CNN would actually refer to the word sin. Sin. Oh, the religious language yeah, is Yeah, it's crazy. only invoked against us. That's okay. really cute. Uh -huh. I love it. So it starts getting worse. So, you know, we have Howard Stern, which however serious you take Howard Stern, but when are we going to stop putting up with the idiots in this country and just say, you know, it's mandatory to get vaccinated? F them, F their freedom. I want my freedom to live. I want to get out of my house already. I want to go next door and play chess. Uh, CNN, you're treading on our freedom and you're making other people sick and really killing the other people. Uh, MSNBC, anti-vaxxers seem to have a thing for death and home remedies. Uh, let's just get to the worst ones here. So we have the unvaccinated should be taxed and they should pay more for health care. Uh, CNN, we need to start looking at the choice to remain unvaccinated the same as we look at driving while intoxicated. Uh, MSNBC, literally the only people dying are the unvaccinated. And for those of you spreading misinformation, shame on you, shame on you. I don't know how you sleep at night. Uh, Elon Musk even chimed in on this saying that- I sleep at night, but I, I got a pillow. Uh, what'd you say? How do I sleep at night? Well, I usually have a blanket <laughs> well, and a pillow. <laughs> I got a pillow. <laughs> I sleep well. <laughs> so uh, I just, so after the supercut, Elon Musk chimed in and he said, 
Until the Supreme Court struck down Biden's vaccination decree, he tried to demand that we fire all unvaccinated personnel, some of our finest people. This all turned out, and I, I didn't want to mention it, but like it all turned out that people that were unvaccinated ended up having better immunity, got COVID less statistically, spread COVID less statistically. Um, the people with more boosters were getting COVID more, hospitalized more, and spreading COVID more. So uh, it turns out all this wasn't true, but I think what I'd really like to focus on was just how nasty the rhetoric was oh and how it was intended to divide people and put people at people's throats well, it's all the over power, decision that yeah it's, a, it's harnessing the power of religious talk and you know for all of their attempts to strip supposedly strip the, the public square of any of people of religious faith there this is again and again we've talked about this before it's really important to be aware of the ways in which there is now a substitute faith, as it were, with its own dogmas, its own saints. We talked about St. Greta Thunberg for climate change. We have, you know, St. Barack Obama. Yeah. St. Kendi for St. Max Kendi. Yeah. And it's its own religious system where there are the saved and the damned, if you will. Right. And you see it in the threads of uh, Biden's speech at Howard University with this idea of white supremacy is the greatest threat to domestic terrorism and it's never over the sins of our fathers. And in this supercut, which was really disturbing, you know, it's been three years, three to two and a half years since a lot of these uh, quotes came out. A lot of these people were saying this in the mainstream media and I'd even forgotten and my head's in it all the time. I'd forgotten. And when you, when you splice it all together like that, it's really powerful because you see, one, that the talking points were so universal across all of these people. They're using the same categories of people. They're using the same religious tones of sin and shame and dying and unchristian, um, that this really was the elitist narrative. And it was a, a, an un, unmistakable attack on a group of Americans who, turns out, now after the fact— were perfectly reasonable in their objections to getting the vaccine. Yeah. It okay, also reminds this, me this, when you mentioned religion. Or go ahead. Yeah, you're saying about religion. You, you, you're going to say it's not a vaccine, it's a treatment. Or is that well, that's also treatment? true. But no, what I was going to say is <laughs> you're right in that the left looks at government and political action as, you know, that's their religion. And, in, and to that extent... And that extent only, the atheists are more devout. What do I mean by this? When you look at all the different religions in the country, atheists are the most politically active religious group. Of course, I'm, my point is they are religious. The, the state is their God. And if, if Catholics in this country were as politically active as the atheists were, we would be able to change this country overnight. Absolutely. Completely agree. And that's what frustrates me. We were talking about this on internally. Uh, we do know as Catholics, in the end, Jesus Christ has purchased our salvation. You know, if we, if we are frequently receiving the sacraments and we're in a state of grace and, and we're, we're right with God, we'll be okay. But I think that some people take that and are like, well, it's okay. Anything bad, it, it, it's fine. Let's, we can just wash our hands. We'll be good in the end, right? We all go to heaven. And it's that kind of attitude that allows the state, statist, religiously devout to dominate and persecute Catholics, all without us putting up any kind of fight. And I, that's where I just, I digress, like, I diverge from that narrative because we actually, what kind of charity is that 
to not be involved, to not bring the Catholic perspective to the public square. It's not charitable right. at all. Because I think, Tom, like part, part of the way you articulated that really hits the nail on the head. We'll be fine. We all go to heaven. Our eyes are on the kingdom to come. Guess what? We don't all go to heaven, right? We have Christ's sure. word for that. And I think that if Catholics remembered that it's not a done deal, there are, there are thousands of souls out there who, because of the machinations of the political machine, are being cut off from the saving gospel that you just so beautifully articulated. Um, there are souls who are being lost, right? Which is why it is incumbent upon us as Catholics to get out there with the time that we have been given on this earth and be politically active. Josh is absolutely right. Turns out Jesus was right, right? <laughs> what did he say? The children of this world are wiser than the children of light. Yeah, like we got, we can't let that be the case about us, right? Which is why we're part of Catholic Vote. It's a, it's a joy to work for this organization that really takes that to heart, that we are called to help everyone to live out the truth in public life, in their family life, to make changes. You see the mistake of some Catholics are like, don't worship your you know, politicians, don't worship the state, and you know, politics isn't your salvation. And, uh, and they say this to, to Catholics and Christians who want to get more politically active. And it's like, look, I don't look at anyone as a messiah. Are you kidding me? No. I, I'm getting involved in politics because I, I'm my brother's keeper, and I see you know, thousands of my brothers and sisters mutilated you know, through these trans surgeries. And killed through abortion. Like, we need to do something about this. Roll up our sleeves and get get to work. It's it, I, it's not like I, th I mean, these politicians, I mean, most politicians are worth a dime. I don't care about them. I'm trying to change the law to protect people. Like, that's what I care about. Like, oh, no, that politician isn't perfect. Like, <laughs> Hello. Hey, yeah. for, the audience, for the audience Jack. here, uh, Josh is actually an enlightened libertarian. So, uh, nothing frustrates me more than the libertarians that are like, well, you know, let's just not get involved and I'm going to live off range and do my own thing. Like, that's not what we're called to do as Catholics. I hate to break it to the libertarians in the audience, but like you said, we need to promote the common good. We have real brothers and sisters out there. Yeah, we have a real Absolutely. And we have an obligation to make that happen in politics. That's what politics is for. Po polis, city. It's just, it's, it's life. That's it's everyday life. I'm going to get off the soapbox here, but Yay. a good example of that. <laughs> That was fun, though. It's so, it frustrates me so much. I'd love to talk to anyone, by the way. Hit the, hit the inbox, Catholic Vote at, uh, or loopcast at catholicvote.org, or you can reach out to us in the comment section on YouTube. I love talking to you guys. And if you like what we're doing, shoot us a review. Helps us out a lot. So uh, we actually had an, an instance where someone went a little bit too far, and I think it actually goes into a lot of the, the nasty rhetoric um, and the religious, the, the oddly religious of the state so we have the L.A. Dodgers. For any baseball fans out there, baseball's season is in full swing. The pitch clock is awesome. But what's not awesome is the L.A. Dodgers uh, invited the group uh, Sisters of Perpetual Indulgence. And if you think that's a religious order, uh, it's not the good kind. Check uh, that. They are a group of people that are explicitly out to mock Catholicism. They're famous for... Uh, tricking uh, Catholic priests to giving them uh, communion so that they could desecrate it. So these are and they like dress the up worst and drag the and they mark <laughs> religious um, sisters and nuns. They dress up in like odd like uh, religious apparel, so like right. uh, w habits that are of course sexualized. Like, yeah, profane. It's, all it, it's disgusting. Really these are like the yeah. worst of the worst when it comes to mocking Catholicism. 
So they're actually invited by the Dodgers on LGBTQ night uh, of, of all nights uh, to receive a community hero award and uh, talk about a slap in the face to people like Vin Scully, uh, who was famously worked for the Dodgers for many years, a devout Catholic. I know there's plenty of baseball fans out there that are Catholic as well who should see this as a, as a real insult. And so we kind of saw this at Catholic Boat as going on, and we just weren't satisfied with kind of sitting by and this is something we felt like we could act on. So, Josh, what, what, what was our involvement? What was Catholic Boat's involvement with yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, it's important to realize we're not talking about just the Dodgers giving a grant or an award to a gay rights group or something like that. We're talking about a specific group that its sole purpose is to mock Catholicism and, and to make fun of uh, Jesus, the Eucharist, uh, religious uh, women who decide to uh, have a vocation. So, it's really just the nastiest thing. And, and so this is, the, I mean, beyond a line too far, this is an absolute insult to all Catholics. And there's 4 million Catholics in Los Angeles. Like, it's just a dumb economic decision anyway. Why would you do this? Uh, it's like we're trying to save the Dodgers from shooting themselves in the foot here. Uh, and so we sent the letter to, to the commissioner of Major League Baseball, you know, who's, you know, uh, Manfred is uh, Catholic. He says he's Catholic. So I, I don't have reason to say that he's not. But um, the thing is, if you really believe in inclusion, which is one of your buzzwords, um, are Catholics <laughs> included? Do you think they should be included in the celebration of baseball? There's 70 million Catholics in the country. Do you think they should be insulted like this? You know, and so we're calling all Catholics to, to call the Dodgers and uh, let them know how you feel. Uh, yeah, we'll you know? leave the the phone number in the show notes. Yeah, but blow you know, up, this blow, story up got... uh, blow up this the switchboard there. Let them know what they really what what you really think about the Dodgers insulted Catholics like this. So, uh, you know, we we called uh, we sounded the alarm on this. We're the first to, to report <laughs> this, and uh, you know, Fox News. Uh, we're getting coverage all over the place. Uh, and good, we want to Yeah, we want to <laughs> raise attention to this. Senator Marco Rubio. Uh, put out a press release release on this, and uh, that's also you know can't get enough loop cast after this episode. Uh, I did get the opportunity to, to talk to Senator Rubio, and uh, just to tease from the episode, he he just seems like one of us. Like I I don't know how to describe that. Like like Josh was saying, you know, I'm not one to worship politicians or anything like that. But uh, after talking to him, just a real down to earth guy had a lot of really interesting perspectives, a very Catholic perspective. Catholic social teaching perspective on politics. So definitely worth hearing him out. Um, and just such an honor to, you know, we've now done two senators in two weeks, Erica. So yeah, that's uh, pretty good. another milestone for the loop cast, which is really cool. Um, but anyway, Erica, did you have any uh, two cents on this? Yeah. I mean, on the Dodgers thing, I think uh, first shout out to our president, president of Catholic vote, Brian Birch for, for really like zeroing in on this as something that could win. And, you know, we talked about the Bud Light boycott as being, you know, a culture, a gesture, not just a gesture, but an actual effective way for, you know, Americans of good faith to just object and say, you know, we're not going to buy that. Well, this is another example of that, where there really is a shot here for you to make a difference. And when we're talking about being active in the public square, call the Dodgers. I mean, baseball, we, we've, in the last few years, it has definitely gone woke in many aspects of the MLB have gone woke. They have pride nights and everything. But like Josh said, giving this community award to this particular group, it really is the bridge too far. And it's something I think that Americans, not just Catholics, but, you know, ask any of your friends who are baseball fans, like, 
they're doing this to my my faith and my religion. Would you call them? And, you know, if they pull if and the Dodgers do the right thing and pull the award, that's that's a real boost. You know, that's it. It's something that will be noted and and, re, you and, know, reminding and, the, and other... speaking of the boycotts at work, my, uh, you know, Meyer is a large uh, chain of uh, grocery stores in uh, Michigan where I'm at. Mm-hmm. And I saw mm-hmm. the ad in the paper. A, a case of beer, a case of Bud Light beer for three dollars and forty nine cents. <laughs> I mean, that's practically I mean, giving it away. I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's right. Like, was the that's last right. time you could buy twenty? What was the last time you could buy twenty four cans of beer for three dollars <laughs> and forty nine cents? I mean, it's like nineteen seventy one. I mean, it's just like it's crazy. It's like fifty years ago. It's insane. Yeah. But good. You Fighting know, we got to say no to that. And we got to say no to Target, too, by the way, because Target is pushing oh my gosh. all Target. these yeah. awful things. Target's always been a far left company. Target's been, they've been I think, out like ever 10 but I years. Think yeah. The, well, I don't, I've been seeing a lot of heat on them, but Bud Light was just such a cultural moment. But uh-huh. Target is way worse. They they have, their, their pride line is obscene. Uh-huh. And they have uh, articles of clothing that are tuck friendly. They have in, instructions for, how you could do that? They sell chest binders. Like it's yeah. beyond. Yeah. In other words, it, it's you know it, it's um, it's it's intentionally selling clothing that encourages people who are trying to mutilate their bodies, and so like you know you're not doing any favors to this. I, it, I, yeah, I'd stay away from Target. Uh, absolutely, say, don't give another dime. Back on um, back on the Dodgers though. Let's just. I just love taking these opportunities, but if imagine there was a group that mocked Muhammad. Oh right, yeah. And went after was a was mocking a Muslim group. The outrage. I I, I just I my dream is that you know through this and through other initiatives that Catholics can just stop like taking abuse. Like we right. don't need to don't take, take abuse. It. If if you made people afraid of your response, then they wouldn't do it. I'm not saying by illegal means, but I'm just saying if you were afraid of the impact it'd have on your business, yeah, you need to your kick them in the wallet. Totally, mm-hmm. it's like what happened to Bud Light. It's like people should think twice before doing things that would upset this group of people, and that's that's how I feel. Like I'm so I'm so tired of Catholics just rolling over and taking things. What in the name of charity? Like there, there's nothing charitable about that at all. So, uh, yeah, call the Dodgers. I I'm gonna be calling them up multiple times. I'm really upset. I mean, I. Lifelong Tigers fan, um, I'm getting really sick of this kind of stuff. And it's like, you don't have to just take that and then, okay, well, I'm just going to boycott the MLB. Like, okay, well, let's make it hurt first so that we can still have our pastime. Right. You know, like no one's saying that you have to be removed from this. It's just making making people know, like, hey, there's a line and it's not okay to cross it. That leads me into this. Uh, so Catholic Vote is starting in Novena. It actually starts on the 22nd, uh, on Monday. And this Novena... If I could put it into perspective, we're going to head into what many people have dreaded as Pride Month of June. And a good, the only way really to prepare for this and to prepare for our initiatives to kind of strike back at this and to protect our souls really for our children, especially with what we're doing with Hide the Pride, is to pray. And so we are doing a novena that leads up to the Feast of the Visitation to honor that day. And really to prepare us for what's going to be happening in Pride Month. I promise we will need it here at Catholic Vote. So if you could offer some of those for us, but just offer it in general for everyone uh, that is going to be involved with this campaign and just for everyone that's going to have to go through Pride Month here. So uh, you can get more information on that at catholicvote.org novena. 
we will have that in the description. And this is one of those opportunities we talk about it. We love when we can incorporate uh, real tangible spiritual actions that we can do with this community because it is for sure the most powerful form of interaction that we can have, most, most impact we can have as a group. So uh, please, I, you all need to be involved in this. Uh, it's, it's such a worthy cause. So check it out, catholicvote.org slash novena. So uh, for anyone that thought we were going to cover this, psych, we're covering it, uh, the Durham report. So it may have been three years late, but we now are having some information that this uh, Russia hoax uh, was indeed that. It was a hoax, but it was actually a little bit more insidious than a hoax. Uh, Erica, if you could just run down some of the details that maybe let us know some perspective on how big of a problem this is. Right. So anyone listening, you've probably heard about the Durham report at this point. And it was released this week by Special Prosecutor John Durham. It's been three years in the making. It's over 300 pages long. No, I have, I have not read the whole thing, but I'm going to give you the basic takeaways from this. And it's being called, you know, the greatest political scandal since Watergate. And, you know, reading and listening to the commentary, I, I think it might actually, that might not be hyperbole, as Joe Biden is fond of saying. It's not hyperbole. But basically, it comes down to this whole idea that somehow the Trump 2016 campaign was influenced by Russia, was collaborating with Russian agents or in collusion with the Russian government. Turns out that when the FBI, FBI launched its massive investigation called Crossfire Hurricane into this counterintelligence um, effort, they were actually acting on no actual evidence of collusion between Russian officials and Donald Trump's campaign. And they based their probe on raw, this is from the report, quote, raw, unanalyzed, and uncorroborated intelligence, specifically a conversation overheard between a former Trump staffer in a bar in London in 2015 that somehow an Australian agent got a hold of, and then he told someone who told someone that maybe the staffer mentioned Russia in a conversation. And literally, you're laughing, but that's all there was. The problem and the reason why it is such a huge scandal is that what Durham's report uncovers is that this goes all the way to the top, that Hillary Clinton's campaign in, 20, in the summer of, of 2016 went, they briefed the Obama administration that they were going to launch this investigation um, using the FBI. So, you know, if you think back to Watergate with Nixon, right, those guys who were bumbling about in the Watergate Hotel trying to spy on the DNC, they were hired from the outside. They were, they were private investigators hired from the outside by Nixon's campaign, and they're bumbling around. This is actually Hillary Clinton, former Secretary of State, using the FBI, using the highest level of the federal law enforcement to prosecute to to look into something that wasn't even there and they knew it that's why this is such a disturbing report and i know josh you have some hot takes on this but for me um the killer is that you know i'm looking at all these big names i'm looking at people who should be in jail like former cia directors fbi intelligence officers and no one is going to be prosecuted for this and they got away with it and what was the effect on the trump administration i'm going to let josh go into that because He's way more informed on it than I am, but well, you think it of, did it did cripple. There are still people who believe the Trump this. administration for for its four years. They're having to deal with all this stuff on a on a daily mm -hmm. basis, and you just think about Every the day. sheer 
number of hours and hours and hours of coverage that not just MSNBC and CNN did, but like all the major networks, ABC, CBS, NBC, during their, you know, nightly news, uh, during their, you know, 60 minutes, Russia, 2020, Russia, Russia, all right. that kind of stuff, <laughs> your local news. The thing is, if, it, if, the, if an average person is just watching and has a mainstream media news diet, they assume, oh yeah, obviously Trump had some sort of Russian connection. And I think about it, so like my own mother, I love her to pieces and she prays the rosary, but she watches mainstream media news coverage all the time. And she, like so many other millions of people now, are so convinced there was this Russia connection with the Trump campaign that there's literally nothing now that's going to stop them. It's so ingrained. They've been, they were, people were fed this on a constant diet for three years. Well, now six years since all this started, but for three years in a row during the, it just like constantly, this is, this is going on. This is going on. This is going on. Russia, 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 his campaign. He got backing from Russia, all the jokes, everything when they're talking about anything. Oh, well, you know, maybe I'll just get more money from Russia. It was so embodied in everything that mm -hmm. they were saying that there's, there's just no believing it anymore. That the actual truth, if you if you show I, them actually that was incorrect. Actually, there was no evidence to suggest the FBI should have even started this investigation. And in fact, there was no connection. And I'm not even like the biggest Trump guy, and it wouldn't matter. It just doesn't matter. You can't break through this wall now. And that that's what really frustrates me about. The, the mainstream media or whatever, they're so slanted, they're so partisan, and they are still brainwashing millions of people. Mm -hmm. It kind of drives me crazy. And the left says, oh, well, you know, conservatives have their own bubbles too. It's like, dude, yes. I mean, everyone can kind of create a bubble into themselves, I suppose. But the fact is, you guys are in the bubble and we at least are exposed to everything you're doing. Like the people who are in Brooklyn and in Manhattan do they have any idea how the rest of the country lives? No. They're the ones in the, in the bubble. We get exposed to your culture every time, every day. We know what you're saying. We just know it's mm -hmm. wrong. This is really interesting. I think the idea of the bubble, I was, I was talking to um, a fellow journalist who was at a conference with, um, there were a couple of Washington Post guys, and this uh, a couple of um, New York Times guys were there. And the idea of this conference, this was over the weekend in New Haven, was to get conservative journalists in these liberal uh, media organizations talking. And the one of the presentations that they had uh, was on the idea of the demographic winter, that somehow we're below re replacement level. And the journalists, the journalists from these big, massive media organizations who were there with these conservative thinkers, probably for the first time in their life, they're like, oh, my gosh, these people exist. And here they are at Yale. And they, they were astonished that there is a demographic winter, that there is that we're below replacement level. And they're, they're saying things like, well, well, you know, what if how, how do we fix this problem? And you're thinking, well, probably not by promoting gay marriage and trans surgeries. Abortion. But, the, but again, right. the, what, what this conversation showed me was just how thick the bubble is. When you're at the center of the universe or what you think is the center of the universe, it is very hard to be self-critical. And what this Durham report exposes is that all of those people who are just moving the narrative along because they hated Donald Trump so much, they were living in this thick bubble that 
they're never really going to have to leave. Even though this report is out, it doesn't change the fact that people lost their jobs and their livelihoods. Over this. I think of like Mary Catherine Ham, who was at CNN at the time. And she was like, oh, guys, I don't think that this is evidence. I don't, we should be slow down. She was excoriated on endless panels and she ended up leaving. Like th there's no apology to her and no one really cares. Oh. And this, this showed up too in the FBI's apology? own, the FBI's response to this report was, oh yeah, we took care of it. We made some changes at senior levels like three years ago. We took care of yeah, it three sure. years ago. You're like, really? Did you really? Because we can always no take a government rolled. agency at their word, though. <laughs> I know, like the trust has just gone. There's no something, trust that, something that you said though that I think is the core of all of this is there's no apology. So let's go right. back to the white supremacy comments. Like, well, are we going to get an apology for that? Like, no. Never. Uh, the vaccination stuff. Are we ever going to get an apology for that? No, we're not going to get an apology for that. We're not going to get an apology for the Durham report, for sure. We're not going to get an apology for FBI embedding themselves in Catholic churches. So I think that we're not going to get an apology for the forcing people to watch their loved ones die on FaceTime because they wouldn't let them into the <laughs> hospital. Right. No. So uh, you talk about the thickness of the bubble and uh, how some liberal elites are just like, I, how, how could people be upset? What are you talking about? CNN's reputation? They were all mad about putting Trump on CNN town hall. They're like, CNN's reputation is ruined. They let him speak. I can't believe it. It's like, oh, letting a former president talk to the public? I, I, I don't understand. People yeah. don't understand, too. He was wiped off of all social media everywhere. He could he had to create his own social media to talk to people. Can you imagine when does that happen to anyone else, any other president in any other situation ever? Been, like people were mad that President Biden didn't retain his blue check mark when people had to pay for verification. They couldn't see that, oh, maybe this is a little ironic because Trump literally was wiped off of everything. So it's it well, it's that's, the, so, it's, sorry, to, there's just, no apologies. Here's there's the no thing. There's no apologies. There's not going to be reform from these people. And that's why, you know, our mantra was stop complaining about media bias, be the media. Mm -hmm. That's why we launched the exactly. loop. That's why we launched the loopcast. And it's also why I think communities are understanding I can't trust the public schools to, you know, to send my kids. I need to start my own school, either a home school or collaborate in the community and start a classical Catholic school. Uh, and also white supremacy right there. <laughs> they got this coverage in the National Catholic Register. Erica, you sent this along. I thought it was pretty good. Where <laughs> now Catholics are starting to realize we need to do like maybe a, I don't know if you want to call it a strategic retreat, but basically realize that there's some places in this country that are so far gone that any chance of a reform isn't going to happen probably in your lifetime or your kid's lifetime. <laughs> and so maybe you should move out of New York City, move out of Chicago. And Angeles, not just go to the right. suburbs, like go to another state. Like don't just go from Ch the, the Chicago suburbs, you know, Chicago to the suburbs, go to Indiana where, you know, people are a little bit more sensible where there's pro-life laws Paco. that are getting passed, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and don't just, and don't, don't leave New York city and go into New Jersey or the New York suburbs, like go into another state, like New Hampshire would mm -hmm. be better or. Josh, put your money where your mouth is. Come to Indiana. Michigan's gone. <laughs> He's happy up in we'll up see. northern He's gone. Michigan. We'll see. I mean, like, yeah. I, I tell my kids, like, I want you to live near me, but if you move to somewhere like Indiana, I would totally understand because, you mm -hmm. you know, you don't you don't get taxed twice on education. You know, the, the idea that Catholics, we have to realize, I don't know why there's not enough outrage about this. You pay taxes to fund schools that, you know, throw pornography down their kids' throats. And then you have right. to pay for education again by going to a private school. It's it's an abomination. And 
it only happens for K-12 education. It doesn't happen for college education. Like, the, you know, ed, financial aid is available, whatever school you want to go to. It's just K-12, the monopoly. And we got to bust it up. And so states yeah, like Indiana, full Florida, circle. that, that I, got, I Erica, if I could add, if, if I could add before you, you go, go full it. circle moment, uh, I just tweeted this out, but there was a woman wearing a, a collar at a oh. uh, public school support thing. And yeah. she said, vouchers are against my religion. And I was like, nothing has ever summed up. It was so iconic. The secular religion as this picture. Like, That's it's just right. a perfect picture. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I, no, used to I was just going to. Got to use it. Yeah. I was going to tie it together a little with the idea of like being politically active that we were just talking about. And people will say, okay, well, you know, that's so Rod Dreher, like Benedict option. You're retreating, you're circling the wagons, which isn't what he said, actually. But don't circle the wagons. You got to be out there and change. Yes, but not at the expense of the next generation of Catholics. If you are a parent and you are responsible for the souls of young, of your children and the children of your, who are in your circles, um, this is a completely understandable option, like Josh said, to actually move your family to somewhere where your children will be spiritually safe and you can bring them up um, or safer. We're never you know, perfectly safe in this life. But at the same time, you as a parent, you can run for your school board. Your kids don't have to be in the school. You can keep them out, but you can be in there changing it for other people's children. Again, we're our brother's keeper. This is, this is the Catholic ethos. Um, yep. So it's a both and. It was a really interesting article. Jonathan Lytle, um, really great job on interviewing a bunch of people on that. So go check it out. I'll put oh it in the Oh my show gosh, notes. Erica, that brings up one of my biggest frustrations is is the whole, Tell this me, is a Tom. real niche Catholic homeschooling issue. <laughs> but pe- people always talk about how, um, you know, people need to get outside of their bubble, right? Like you're if you homeschool your kids, and you raise them in a church community, they're in a bubble, and they're going to leave that bubble and go into the real world, and then they're going to get bludgeoned or whatever. And it always just makes me mad. And then uh, there's actually, there was something about how homeschooling is illegal in Germany and how America needs to get on board with that. Like, it's crazy that homeschooling is illegal. Do you know who made homeschooling illegal in Germany? Any guesses? <laughs> I'm going and with Hitler last name for Hitler. five. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hitler last for name 200. Hitler, not a good dude. Um Anyway, that's all on the side, but I just laughed my butt off because, like, I know who made homeschooling illegal in Germany. It wasn't a good guy. <laughs> um, but why? I, I totally agree. I'm not willing, personally, to sacrifice my children uh, to uh, evil and sin for the sake of making someone happy in a social circle about me leaving my bubble. I'm like, why would I not want to incubate my kids in the truth to give them a firm foundation? to then go create new incubators wherever they go. It's like, I'm not here to just be, to, to mold into, to mix into some kind of secular hellscape. Like I'm, I'm the type of person that's like, if I, I don't even want my kids hanging out with certain people, like if I know what they teach their kids, that's right. how serious I'm about this. Well, like, I mean, I think that the real, the thing that really irks me about that kind of, you know, what you're describing, which is the, oh, we got to put our kids out in the public schools so that they're ready for the real world. The public school, the whole point of this is that those are that is not the real world. It is actually divorcing your child from reality. And what is reality? Reality is that children are developing human beings. They are not in a position to go out and like, you know, change the world and like transform the culture of their classroom when everyone in their classroom is telling them you can be a boy or a girl or whatever you want and mom and dad are bigots, right? That's you, you let's get a real sense of what's actually going on. And to, to say, I want my children to be raised in a loving family environment, 
with peers who are being raised by a mother and a father um, in a loving environment in the Catholic faith. Children are a whole, children are, yes, they are human beings. They're going to have to face difficult things, but that doesn't mean we have to throw them to the wolves when they're still being formed morally and physically and spiritually. Amen. Completely agree. And talk about, you talk about schools being artificial, like that's, yeah, when else the whole in your idea life of, are yeah. you going to sit in a room with 40 other people who were born <laughs> yeah. within nine months of you? Like, that's not yeah. real. <laughs> and then a bell's going to ring and you're going to go to a new Everyone place and you got to sit in a desk. <laughs> like, it's the most artificial thing ever. Like, college <laughs> is closer to the real world, but high school and, like, the, the public school system is so artificial. The people are like, this is the real world. Like, no, it's not. It's not even close. I know homeschoolers that are, like, much more in the real world than that. Um, so that takes us into the Twilight Zone here, uh, Erica. Your All first. right. So I'm going to lighten it up a little bit. Uh, you know, I, I like thinking about how the devolution of art and cheap art. And <laughs> so I'm scrolling through Netflix. There's a new Netflix documentary out on Cleopatra. Sounds classical, right? Well, in this Netflix documentary, she is portrayed as a very dark skinned black woman. And again, art is art. But Egyptian historians and some government officials are actually very upset about this and they're protesting it because it just is such a display of utter ignorance of Egyptian skin color in general. And I just want to say, like, the whole message from Netflix, well, you know, Egypt, hold that thought because Americans, like, we're the real race experts here. And you okay. know that when this was pitched, some recently, like, credentialed activist filmmaker from USC, L.A. Film School, where they pointed to a map of Africa and they were like, look, Egypt's in Africa. And they're like, Wakanda forever. And so we'll just make her a black queen. And that was pretty much it. So, <laughs> I mean, shout out to Netflix. It just continues to be the garbage pail of film artists. 1% on and Rotten Tomatoes. Come on, God. Yeah, Rotten Tomatoes never lies. Never. And what was the critic score, though? The Rotten Tomatoes. Like it was 11%. Ooh, did and you know it's bad. You know it's bad. It's bad if both are. Yeah, yeah, but guys, Cleopatra, Tough. not a dark-skinned black woman. Like, let's just get it right. Someone responded with a great meme of uh, Netflix's next movie is going to be about MLK and Ryan Reynolds is going to play MLK. So the movie <laughs> poster was one. like Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> it's okay. It just looks like Ryan Reynolds. It doesn't look like MLK at all. It's just like next next casting call. Yeah, there's a great. Oh, there's man. actually a great. Um, you're asking like, why is it all these remakes? There's a really interesting article in the tablet today, and I'll put it in the show notes. I my apologies to the author. I do not have it pulled up. I don't have your name. But just asking, like, why is art so boring right now? Like, why is everything a remake or just bad, like Cleopatra? Why is everything just so bad? And he has a really interesting take on, well, maybe art is boring because we're really boring and goes into, like, our, the, the lack of education. But anyway, I'll throw it in the show notes. It's interesting. The whole question of, you know, how much should art be reflective of reality, especially with these historical documentaries like Cleopatra and everything? Um, I've actually— well, Interesting question. I've, yeah, right? and I, I've heard too that uh, get my nerd on. Partially, it's because of the business model uh, of making movies has changed substantially with uh, moving away from uh, actual movie theaters and then DVDs. Now that we've broken it all up to streaming models, people are less willing to take risks on original content. Like they, the only way that they can get back on their investments is by just doing Mass what's production. already another comic book movie. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's why you only see Avengers comic book movies. sixteen. <laughs> sixteen. <laughs> Josh, I see you have something to say about Lila Rose for his party bro and E-Thoughts. 
Well, I mean, the thing is, Lila Rose has always been one of the greatest pro-life uh, spokeswomen we have. She's great. And she's on these shows, you know, like on Dr. Phil or whatever. And she always does a really good job. But like, this is my favorite. This was so awesome. She, and this clip is totally going viral right now. There's a podcast called Whatever, and they've, they've got so many clips on Whatever that have gone totally viral. But I just want to warn my audience here that Whatever is, they, they cover some pretty raunchy stuff or whatever. So, like, don't just think, oh, this will be another interesting podcast. 18, 18 and up. Very yeah. much viewer beware. And this yeah. is, and in this podcast, they bring on people who are like, oh, I, you know, I, I participate in all sorts of things. And, you know, the, only fans, all these people who, who get nude and stuff like that. Well, they had this, had this guy on here. I call him a bro. I don't know what his name is, but he's big <laughs> on this masculinity thing. And for him, masculinity is like I'm a, you know, I will I lift weights. I'm a I'm, I'm in self control. Cold showers. I, I yeah, yeah exactly. I make a lot of money. Toughness. Yeah. Raw meat. And I got my I raw meat, raw eggs, and you know all this kind of stuff. And I got my business. I'm and I got uh, I'm in dominion over my money and all this stuff he's like he's a total king right you know all this stuff which is okay fine okay fine but then he's also just having sex with just about every woman that he that he meets and lila was like well hey wait a minute now you know you expressed you know she said you're expressing that you had this you you want to have one place in your heart for one woman but then you just you know why don't you just commit to one and choose to be faithful to her. That's such a great question. And he's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not wearing that Said, way. So you're annoying. I, I'm, I'm not wearing that way. Shoes. I spent my whole 20s trying to fix myself, but. And she's like, <laughs> but you're a man of self-control. You work out. You do business. You possess your own power and direct it the way you want it to direct it. You know, it's just like. It's just yep. not who I am. Is, that's it, Lila. And then, like, then she, she, she awesome. hit him with. She hit him with, isn't that a limit, limited mindset? And he's like, oh, I'm telling no you, man, this bro that, had dude. no idea he was walking into the Lila Rose <laughs> buzzsaw. She was just yeah. using <laughs> all the stuff that he talks about as being good. Like, here's the stuff that you talk about being master of your own dominion and like you are completely failing and you're a slave to your own lust. And it was just outstanding. And then he's like, but of course, it's this hyper masculinity kind of thing. And it's not real masculinity, of course. Because it, it doesn't look like St. Joseph at all, who's, to me, the archetype of masculinity. It's not. It's not. It's the furthest thing from St. Joseph. And Gosh, I, I gotta... just think to myself, you know, you know, I, this, you're so hyper-masculine. And then this very calm young lady, she's a very mom beautiful. and she's a wife. Mom, and she just says, yep. hey, just based on all your talk about self-control and being master of your own dominion, Maybe you should not be, you know, a total slave to your sexual passions. But she says mm -hmm. it not like that. I just did. She said it very kind. And that he's like, oh, you're just, uh, you know, you're annoying. Yeah. I'm not yeah, triggered, though. You're just annoying. <laughs> I just, I just totally thought she triggered. did fantastic. I, you know, absolutely. she was awesome. Just, I mean, she's always done such a great job, you know, debating and all these different, she's been on CNN, all these different places. But man, this guy was just, a deer in headlights didn't know what to say. So, Josh, this might be an opportunity for a young man to hopefully shed some light here. So how, how familiar are you with uh, a high-value man, Andrew Tate-type deal? Like, do you, do you know what his grift is, this guy, Justin? Just, I, mean, I, I mean, I've heard of Andrew Tate. I mean, it's the same kind of, like, you know, 
faux hyper masculinity stuff. So, yeah. Okay. So not only is he like, yeah, I just sleep with anyone I want. He believes that he's such a high value man that uh, he can have multiple wives or multiple girlfriends, but they can't have like they can't do the same. They, belong like, they to can't him. go around. They belong to him. Right. They're part they're of his be whole so trappings. Happy. Yeah. Yeah. The, his haram. Uh, they're going to be so happy that they're with such a high value man and that the kids he's going to have with them are going to be so happy because they're with such a high value man that they won't need to go elsewhere. And he needs to put on this type of hyper-masculine, you know, jacked, suit-wearing, uh, suave act because he has something with Andrew Tate called the War Room. Now, the War Room is a c- course that you can take uh, to become a high-value man yourself, to oh, make a lot of money. Well, there you go, Tom. To, uh, and uh, the course is not cheap. So uh, he comes from the ilk of people that prey on people with low self-esteem or maybe don't have good communities themselves to pay them money to become a, quote, high-value man uh, and to have women fawn over them all just a scam. to achieve all their dreams. It's a total scam. Yeah, and I mean, it's the, the those people actually Joseph. make me, yeah. Yeah, and they, they actually make me mad, really mad, exactly. because they know what they're doing. And they're fu- funding their, you know, cute lifestyle with all their homes or their cars or whatever on the backs of people with low self-esteem that are they're taking advantage? Well, and, and, like the thing well, and what Lila and... did was show how utterly vapid it right. all oh, yeah. is, right? She just exposed that. And like you said, Josh, by using his own buzzwords, like, yeah, like limited mindset versus growth mindset. And she just, it was so brilliant. And I think it's important, you know, because sometimes Catholics, you know, we think of, you know, we want to reclaim masculinity and we want to build up men in society and all that. And we have to be careful, you know, there really is this sort of toxic um, toxic aspect of that that's going on in the, the circles you're describing, Tom. Um, just as much as there's the demas- emasculization, masculinity, I can't talk, demasculization, is that a word? Did I just verb? I did. Well, there, of men in our society wants left. to emasculate men. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, right. True, and this is, but... a, this is a reaction to emasculation. And, um, but it's the but wrong one. It's not the right way to do it, right? It has to be funneled into masculinity that supports the vulnerable, right? That's that's what a true man does. He takes all of that self-discipline and that strength, and he uses it in the certain service. That is a true man, a high-value man. Correct. I don't even think that's that's even the point here. I think people just need to get off the internet and go chop <laughs> some wood. Like, Let's like keep seriously. It Stop get philosophizing, Erica. Just get off no. the internet, guys. Yeah. Get off the internet. Go chop wood. Go pray <laughs> at your local church. Find yourself a nice young woman. Get married. Get a raise chicken kids. coop. Get some you, goats. Yes. You will become a man. Trust me. Like, it, yeah. it's, it's so funny. Like, people Being going to the internet of all places to, like, find out how to be a man. Like, it's, it's a lot simpler than that. And it's a lot more practical to just go out and be a man. Like, so people Harrison get so Butker. Do the Harrison Butker course, not oh, the totally. Andrew Tate course. Yeah. yeah. It's... Ugh. So that was a fun internet section. Thank you for bringing up the e-thoughts, Josh. Uh, so I have, I'm going to end on a fun note here. So, um, you know, tough to see businesses close during COVID and stuff, but um, some closings just make sense. So there is a a coffee shop in Toronto that just closed. And if you think that it was a normal one, uh, incorrect, it was called The Anarchist. And uh, The Anarchist is... Uh, a coffee shop that uh, describes itself as anti-capitalist, anti-colonial cafe, shop, and radical community space on stolen land. And the uh, business model was that you pay what you think you should pay 
So if you think you should pay a cent for an espresso, it's a cent. If you think you pay 20 bucks, pay 20 bucks. Very interesting experiment. Um, there was a lot of uh, radical books in there. Art really sticking it to the man, the an anarchist. Um, unfortunately, it closed. Um, and I can't it closed. imagine why. Well, capitalism, really. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, it was it was the capitalists, the colonialists that you know really the system forced them to close, which is just really tough. It's always tough to see. Um, and my favorite part about this was, I'd like to say a huge. <laughs> uh, so so the they were saying that uh, you know the reason they had to close was was rent, which is tough um, when you have to pay rent. Uh, and partake in a capitalist hellscape. But um, my favorite part was they had an FAQ section before. And uh, the, these the top are question on Frequently it, asked questions, right? Yeah. Frequently asked questions on the website. This is the website of the shop that closed. Uh, why are your prices so high? Uh, where did you get the investment capital, in parentheses, vomit, to start the business? Uh, is your coffee ethically sourced? Oh, good. Another business owned by a rich white guy, period. That's not even a question. I'm just, I'm confused. And then, but how can you be anti-capitalist if you sell things, question mark? So, yeah, tough. You know, hope, hope, hope for uh, the best. So the reason they said it closed is unfortunately the lack of generational wealth slash seed capital from ethically bankrupt sources left me unable to weather the quiet winter season or to grow in ways needed to sustainable longer, to, that was needed to sustain long-term. Um, so yeah, tough to see that one go. Mm -hmm. I, I'd recommend if you, Start a tough. company. If you start a company, I'd you know probably try to engage in capitalism. That actually is inherent in starting a company. So yeah, tough tough to see our see, guy most go. Most businesses but... that are left wing, they'll do at, at least some communist uh, capitalism before they preach the communism. They preach the communism, but they act like capitalists. These guys they're, are acting they're actually like using communism and, yeah. for capitalism. Like, yeah, it's like the uh, the whole rainbow capitalism. Are you familiar with that? Is businesses yes. co-opting the, the Pride Month stuff in order to get more customers. And, of course, Pride people are like, well, this is a little insulting. You're just doing this to get money. And it's like, yep, that's exactly what they're doing. They don't care about you. So That's correct. Um, yeah, so, you know, one last coffee shop in Toronto. It's tough to hear. Uh, but that does us for this episode of The Loopcast. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Ways you can really help the program. Leave us a review. Helps us especially on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, you can email us, loopcast at catholicvote.org. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube. Every show is on YouTube. We also have a lot of other great content there, so you can subscribe. Uh, make sure to let us know in the comments. We've gotten some fun ones. Someone made a, a mashup of all three of our names. Uh, I can't remember how to pronounce it, but I thought that was kind of cool. Um, so go wild with that, I guess. Um, but we appreciate you. And uh, we will see you uh, next Thursday. But if you would like more uh, Marco Rubio interview, really good interview. Uh, it's the one right before this. We talked about a lot in, in regards to Florida him being Catholic, the FBI, really worth you checking out. So go take a look at that if you want to listen to more. But if not, we'll see you next Thursday. Bye, guys.